0: Hi, it's a Wednesday evening, and I finished the podcast for the week. But I want to say something about the current situation in Israel. that is interesting, since today is—I just see the calendar—it's February seventh. That means it's four months now. It's going on from October seventh, October, November, December, January. So you know, it's it's a four months. I'm sure in the papers they must have that, and uh, it's a terrible time, but the other is very interesting time, simply because uh from the point of view of the enemy, I think they made certain miscalculations. And I want to speak about that. So today, this podcast has been covered by a number of people who have been sending in uh, smaller contributions, but uh, on a steady basis. And I want to dedicate this uh, podcast to these sponsors. First, we got David and Susan Kaplan. Okay, we go back a long way. And then you have Daniel Lieberstein their family also. And now I see we had a couple days ago from Ruth Rotenberg and Glenn Miller as a memory of their daughter, Tanyel Gavriel Margalit. And they say this year is her 13th yard site. She lives on in all the maizam tovim that we do in her name. Amen. That's a that's a very good sentiment. Neshama Shadavan Um, As I said, this war's been going on for four months. It's the first war I think of where Israel's fought like this straight on for four months. And what's remarkable about it is, I wouldn't have believed it. And the reason I say it is because, if you know anything about the history of the state of Israel, they've always had to fight against a stopwatch. If you go back to 1948, when Israel became a state, so in November 29th, 1947, the UN passed the partition resolution, and the next day, the Arabs, the Palestinians, they call them nowadays started fighting. They attacked Rechov Yafo in this place and that place. And the whole country was in, in, in up in arms. And um, the Jews were fighting usually with one hand tied behind the back because the British were still in charge. They hadn't pulled out yet. I'm talking about between beginning of December 47 and May 14th uh, 1948. Or to be more exact, let's say April 14th, 1948. I'm saying that for a reason. Um, uh, for all those months, the formally speaking, you know, gun control. You're not allowed to have guns. Uh, the Jews aren't. And the Arabs had guns. Uh, they weren't supposed to, but they smuggled them. It's easy to smuggle over the borders, from Syria, from Lebanon, from Jordan, and so forth. Uh, and the Jews had a heck of a time on their hand; They were losing right and left. And it was only at the end of that period, when the British were like three-quarters of the way out, that they took a chance and pulled out some heavy weapons. I mean, uh, you know, machine guns, rifles, or whatever. And they went on the offensive. Uh, then they took over a lot of the areas that these Palestinians were holding where they were attacking them. Like if you went on the way to Jerusalem, they were shooting you. I mean, you know all this. And a lot of Kibbutzim and Moshevut were under attack, things like that. Now, when Israel became a state, all of a sudden it's a state. And you have to worry about the United Nations. As soon as Israel became a state, A, the Arabs invaded from the Arab countries, from Jordan, from Syria, from Iraq, from Lebanon, and from Egypt, in all different directions. But the United Nations immediately said, okay, Israel maybe is a state, but the fighting has to stop now. You get it? And we're putting an arms embargo, nobody can get weapons. Not the Jews, not the Arabs. Now again, it's easier for the Arabs to cheat than the Jews. But everybody did their best to cheat. Because the alternative is to get killed. Now, the fighting was pretty desperate on all the fronts. Some places the Jews did better, some less. There was a big map in the middle fighting against the Jordanians. This was Ben-Gurion's fault. I won't go into the history of it, but you know he screwed up. Uh, and from day one, the United Nations was saying, stop, stop, stop. There should be an immediate ceasefire, like they're saying now. There should be a ceasefire. The only thing is, the Arabs didn't want a ceasefire. So Egypt said no, and Syria said no, and Lebanon and and, and the others, they all said no. So that way, Israel calls to say no. Notice, it's not just Israel's fault. You understand? Because it was just Israel's fault the UN could punish them at that time. Israel was very weak. They're brand new. They're very delicate. They couldn't take any kind of international punishment or boycotts. And other stuff like that. So, after a couple of weeks, May 14th to June 10th, I think it was. By June 10th, everybody was tired from constant fighting. And so they all agreed to a temporary ceasefire. Get what I'm saying? Temporary ceasefire. Meaning, like they're saying now, that the Gaza they should have a temporary ceasefire. The only thing is, once had, so on June 10th, they had a temporary ceasefire for a month. Once you have a temporary ceasefire, the pressure builds up, make it a permanent ceasefire. you know what I'm saying? Permanent ceasefire. And if the Arabs would have said right then and there, we're accepting a permanent ceasefire, Israel would have a lot less land than it does today. But the Arabs all said, no, when the truce is up on July 10th, it came June 10th, on July 10th, we're starting up again. So then Israel could say the same thing. And when July 10th started, Israel went on a, a first strike, you know, beat them to the punch, and they conquered a fair amount of territory. I remember Ramla and Lud, and the Galil and this and that and the other, they did. But they were in a stopwatch because immediately, even though the ceasefire was over, the United Nations immediately said we should extend the ceasefire. And if fighting has broken out again, as per the original deal, we want that to stop too. And anybody who doesn't stop, that is like an international, going against international consensus. And the UN mediator count, Bernadette was pressing Israel and all this stuff. So when Israel made its offensive, and it was a better planned offensive, in uh, July of 1948, um, they did have a certain amount of success, but after a couple of days, they had to stop. Because the Arabs since they're losing, said, okay, we accept a ceasefire. And Israel didn't want to accept it because they want to roll. But since the United Nations said we're imposing a ceasefire, Israel had no choice. So they knew it from going in, that whatever they captured is going to have to be within a relatively few days. I think it was 10 days, I think, the whole thing. And that was already after the UN said enough, and you have to make a ceasefire, you know, till they got away with what they could get away with. Because everybody was trying to take claim from the, each other. So they're under a stopwatch. And then, uh, there was two months of the ceasefire, and then the fighting broke out, I don't remember exactly how, in October. And again, uh, Israel knew, it has a couple of days before the UN closes this down. And that's where they had their big offensive in the northern Negev, in what you and I today would call the Kiryat God area. And I'm not going through the details. And they captured Be'er Sheva and things like that. And then the UN closed them down. And then later in December... Israel launched another thing, uh, claiming that the Egyptians had started or something like that. And they took out the whole rest of the northern Negev. And they were actually in a position to conquer the whole Gaza Strip, which is about to collapse. And then the UN, and especially President Truman, who by December had been reelected in November, seemed to worry about pressure. And he said to Israel, you'd stay out of the Gaza Strip or else. So Truman screwed it up in that way for the Jews. Now, That means that the war was always fought, like I say, with a very definite time limit. You know, you can only do this and this and this before they stop you. Same thing happened in 1956. In a certain way, although Israel had more modest uh, goals, so they were able to do what they wanted to do, which is take over most of the Sinai Desert and the Gaza Strip within a relatively few days. Especially since Nasser, the Egyptian president, told the Egyptian army to retreat back to the Suez Canal area. But again, after a few days, the whole thing was closed down. And the U- U.S., the, I say again, the U.S.A. forced Israel to retreat from all the territory that they took from the Sinai Desert and the Gaza Strip and because uh, the clock ran out. In 67 wars, the same thing. As you know, it was a six-day war. But it took them three days to take over the whole Sinai Desert which goes to the very end, up to the Suez Canal, so you can't go any farther. But then they were fighting in Syria, the Golan Heights. That's days four, five, and six. Remember, it's called the Six-Day War. The UN was immediately saying, stop, stop, go back, you can't keep this. It's only because at that time, the president was Johnson, he was pro-Israel, and the United States ambassador to um, the UN was Arthur Goldberg, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Uh... So he like delayed it, Caesar so Kachaparain. That's how they took over the, the the Golan Heights. But they were, you know, but even then they were under tremendous pressure to stop already. And Russia said, if you don't really stop, we'll go in. And in 73, same thing. The Arabs made it as part of their plan, if they would have stuck to it, that they'll surprise attack Israel, take over a little bit of Karka, and immediately the United Nations should make a, a ceasefire. It's us for Israel to move. Get what I'm saying? the Syrians will come in and take over a piece of the Golan, not the whole thing, Tafastum Rulot Tafastum. And as soon as they take over that piece, the United Nations will immediately, the, the Soviets and the others, will use their power in the UN, and immediately impose a ceasefire. And what are you going to say? You're against a ceasefire? You want bloodshed? See, so see the cynical use of these uh, you know, mechanisms. Uh, the 82 war was a little bit different, because you had Ronald Reagan and it was Sharon and he bamboozled everybody, including Begin as well as Reagan, into saying this will only last for a few days, and it dragged on and on and on. But it turned into a of mess as well. Uh plus Israel simply wasn't ready to fight in Lebanon. I mean, we see that in retrospect. It's a terrible war. And he didn't and Sharon did not know what he's getting into. It turned into a Vietnam for Israel. And that's been the case. All the other little conflicts it has been there since the last 40 years when they had, you know, the war in Gaza, you know, what I mean, uh, shooting rockets at each other in Gaza, well, then 2006 in Lebanon, 2014, 2020, I think it was, or 21. Not during Trump's time, but the other time. Uh, it's always against a stopwatch. Mamela, I'm convinced that the Hamas said, we'll go in, we'll hit Israel, we'll bring back a bunch of prisoners. And then, maybe Israel will shoot us for a day or two. And then, especially since there's civilian casualties, uh, the UN, the civilized world, will step in and say we need a ceasefire now. And maybe we will have won because we got away with beating up and, and, and killing Israel. And we have a bunch of hostages. And we now trade those hostages for all of our guys in the Israeli jails. And we'll come out on top. You understand? Now, the one thing they didn't count on, first of all, I think it's pretty clear from now, they didn't really expect to be able to perpetrate, as far as I can tell, anyway—to perpetrate all the atrocities that they would, you know, people would they have all those kids at that, you know, Woodstock festival, and all these women that they did terrible things to, and all that stuff, and they totally got away with it because, as we all know, Israel was asleep at the switch. They got caught with their pants down. It's a tremendous mechdal, and it happened. So they were more successful than they planned. And therefore, they perpetrated a lot more atrocities than they ever could have hoped to do so. Had they foregone the atrocities, if they would have just gone in, rounded up a whole bunch, take everybody at gunpoint and take them all to Gaza as prisoners, whole kibbutzim and stuff like that, I think their situation would be better. But they did what they did. And then this got America... Or more specifically, it's clearly got Biden so shaken up, properly so, that he gave Israel a a green light, which nobody counted on, including myself. No president has done this. Say what you want about Biden. He's done for Israel what no one else has done. I don't know what the future is. I'm talking about so far in the last four months. He's basically said, I'm not crazy about it, but I'm giving you a green light, even if it takes months and months. And even if you kill a lot of civilians along the way. Because I, I understand where you're holding and that as long as the Hamas survives it's an impossible situation. So somehow or other they have to be destroyed. Naina Khanami, he figures after Hamas is destroyed they'll put in the PLO. BB obviously doesn't think that way. That's a separate item. But the US, or more exactly Biden, has stood up to tremendous pressure. First of all from around the world and second of all from all over America. You know, all the pro-Arabs, all the pro-Palestinians, all the left-wingers and this, and that, and the other have been shepherding him on up, And i got to tell you, it's impressive. He does not care. And his press spokesman calls it like it is. You see these things like I do, you know, in the sheep world or wherever it is. They had the press secretary and they said, isn't Israel doing atrocities? He said, actually, the Hamas is doing the atrocities. You know what I mean? Call a spade a spade. And the public isn't used to this. And clearly, Biden was shaken up by the extreme nature of the atrocities. So it's like a Hitler thing. And you see that the Hamas holds its mutter, it's a mitzvah, to torture and kill and do all kinds of other things. Men, women, children. That's who they are. That's, that's their shita. And so, to get rid of them is like getting rid of a bad disease. It takes a while. And Israel said from the beginning, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, I can't believe that the Arabs, especially Hamas, figured that the world would let Israel get away with it to fight a a steady war for four months now. I mean, a combat combat, like World War II. And more or less, a Stalingrad, which you go house to house. (laughs) Now, fortunately, Israel's done this in a, if if I can tell this, I'm not there. Best as I can tell, that's all I ever have in my podcast, my opinion. Uh, Israel done this from the military point of view in the correct way. Because they realized, and the Arabs also calculated, that if they do go into uh, Gaza, it will turn into a Stalingrad with heavy casualties for Israel. And the Israeli public won't be able to stand for it. Israel will have to retreat. And so, number one, they'll have a victory that they got away with attacking and raping Israel. And number two, they defeated Israel's attempt to do something about it. In which case, they'll have zero deterrence. And the Hamas will be on top of the world. They'll take over the whole Palestinian business, and why not? If I was, I would vote for them too. Because they're getting away and doing something that the others can't do. So, any attempt that the Hamas has made, try to demand a ceasefire, or deny that they did the atrocities, Biden has stood up to them. and says, it's not true, you're a bunch of liars, you're a bunch of mums You're a bunch of barbarians. And you do not deserve to live. And that's what he said, you do not deserve to live. Because he's allowing Israel to bomb the heck out of... Gaza. And he's basically saying, you know, better ninety-nine innocent people should get killed as long as you get the bad the hundredth bad one. Lafuke, the other sheet, which says better hundred ninety-nine guilty people should get away than the one innocent person should get killed. That second sheet is for peacetime. Right? Trajan said that. The Emperor knows from a point of view of strict justice. The American system talks worse that way, right? You cannot convict anybody without the right amount of evidence and all that kind of stuff, you know, with due, due process and all. But war and terrorism is not identical with that. At least Biden sees it that way. And I remain pretty much surprised, pretty much in awe, that he's held the fort for, for four months. They say it's going to cost the election in terms of the Arab voters and this and that and the other. I don't know, you know. But certainly... I'm sure that the Hamas and others never counted that America would give them a green light to to blow up Gaza and destroy so much in, in the town and uproot everything. Now, you see, they're ready. Like I warned you long ago, they're unbelievable tunnels. Wasn't that right? Now you're seeing now, none of us had a Habermin. I mean, how extensive the tunnels are, it's crazy. You see and whatever Israel's done, they find a lot more every day. That's how it goes. So Israel has the air force, and these guys have the tunnels. I mean, that's those are two countermeasures. But Israel's in a situation where if they don't have a complete victory, uh, then they lost. And so uh, it's very interesting that now it's there's nobody would have figured on October 7th that there'd be continuous fighting until February 7th, and it ain't over yet. Just that Israel is saying, you know, they see sort of light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know if it's true. And the Israeli army has developed professional tactics, it's obvious, to minimize the casualties. Notice, if you're going to fight a battle of Stalingrad, there's a way to do it. If your goal is to protect your own troops as much as possible. As much as possible. So, Nebuch, we already have over 200 and some casualties. Uh, dead. And we have so many maimed. I know one or two so that have been maimed. Uh maybe you do too. And that's terrible, and I'm the last person to make light of that. Having said that, it's terribly disturbing to the Hamas and to the Arabs, because they're rather light casualties overall. You know what I'm saying? They wanted that Israel should have every day to lose 20 or 30, like happened a couple weeks ago, you know, with that terrible day. If they do one or two every day, Israel can handle it. You understand? Know when I say Israel can handle it, they have an army of close to 400,000, but it's a mental, psychological thing. And the Hamas knows that. And we already see that there are those in Israel, uh, the Harats and the hostage families, all the rest of it, that are pushing the government and trying to create a Vietnam War-type movement. But as far as I can see, I hope I'm right, it has not caught on. Because the rove of the Israeli public... Believes you got to finish these guys off. They don't want to scream most of them at the families of the hostages because it's a hundred percent clear and understandable why you know they feel the way they do, right? But in the overall picture, the, the, the general public is like it's Nebuch, they're expendable. I mean that, that's what it boils down to. That's a terrible thing to say, and it is a terrible thing to say. And nobody's making light of that. But if you look at the whole picture. You had to, you know, either you, you defeat these guys, or you wipe them out, is more accurate, or you don't. And especially now that they're pushing for this all for all, they'll give up all the, all the hostages. They want all the 1,500, 2,000, 3,000, whatever prisoners in the Israeli jails. So they can now join the Hamas and start all over again and start killing people. They'll emerge from that as a triumph, the Arabs, I'm saying the Hamas. And they will have won the war. And they'll prove that it's possible to go and invade Israel and do all kind of stuff and take so and so many prisoners. And there's a little bit of a fighting for a while, but then you survive at the end of the day. And you won. So it's a terrible business. Whether or not um, Biden will continue to be like this, let's say for another month, uh, would be unbelievable because the pressure is very heavy now. As far as I can tell, and just, I'm the armchair strategist. So I'm just, based on what I see, it looks like it's another month. Right? Which is a long time. That means 30 days of our combat soldiers going through hell to, to take these guys out. Uh, I don't know the exact tactics, but you can see that, you know, they're, 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 there's a reason. And, uh, you know, the real professionals, like in West Point. Somebody sent me a thing yesterday from some Rebbe at West Point where he said Israel doing it the right way. So don't believe 99% of what they send you on the Internet because that's all from the dark side. And they're all people who are trying to spin the story so that they'll gain in the end and compel a ceasefire and come out triumphant in the end. It looks to me as best as I can tell Israel is doing the right thing from a professional point of view. And history will one day record that Hamas could never imagine that a guy like Biden, who seems like a wimp, in other words, that's the image he gives, was not, and actually showed a great deal of moral courage. you got to take your hat off to that guy. And he said, you know, I don't care what's popular or not popular. You know, the French government, this government, they all say, let's have a ceasefire. That's how it goes, what they call the usual suspects. And he's had the moral courage, like profiles and courage, like the Kennedy book to say what's right is right, even if it costs a lot of lives. And I understand that Israel has to go and destroy these guys if it ever has a chance to live. So we're living through very remarkable times. As I say before, you know, this is already February 7th. I hope by March 7th, which will be five months, I hope it'll be behind us. Israel would have won. The army, speaking of saying a year, two years, three years, I think... That they're just saying that so the public won't get hopes like, new new new. But I do think, and I don't know exactly, that they're really hoping that now in these last four weeks to be able to go uh, into the area of the main schmutz and clean it out. We'll see. We don't know. That. We'll see. But I'll say it again. This episode of Biden, he, he is going to go down. Whatever else happens with him, he's going to go down in Jewish history. You hear what I just said? Biden is going to go down in Jewish history. And years from now, people will be talking about this. They let Israel go in spite of the United Nations, in spite of the world and all the rest of it. So, uh, hello, Doverho. Anyway, I want to get that off my chest. Again, I want to thank the Kaplan's, the Steens, the Rotenbergs, and uh, I hope, as I say before, by this time next month, the world will be over and we will have won.